You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with a new housing policy overseas getting a lot of attention on the Lower Mainland today. In an effort to tackle soaring property prices, New Zealand will pass a law that seriously restricts foreigners from buying property there. John Waugh has the details and reaction here at home. A new government formed by a coalition agreement ready to take action on a housing affordability crisis. Our view is that New Zealanders should be able to access their housing market and at the moment uh, demand is definitely um, problematic. Thought it was British Columbia? Think again. New Zealand's newly elected government launching a full attack against foreign ownership. Our view is that we need to have a ban on overseas foreign buyers from buying existing homes. Here at home, leaders in BC are quick to say there's a problem. So when we turn our real estate sector into one for speculation as opposed to living, we have a problem. But local residents unable to afford a home are left to wait for a comprehensive plan. Any policy that is introduced has effects. It's important to ensure that they're introduced slowly and that you're monitoring the effects through collection of ongoing data. The New Zealand plan only banning non-residents from purchasing existing homes. UBC housing expert Tom Davidoff says it might seem like a magic solution, but it may not be effective. I tend to believe restrictions, bans, uh, are hard to enforce at times. Uh, we had it here in British Columbia, even with the foreign buyer tax. Giving a leg up for locals being explored here on a small scale. Vancouver's mayor proposing giving British Columbians first dibs on pre-sale condos over foreign buyers. It may not have an impact on affordability directly, but it will give access to, to locals, I hope. That pushback stops at the provincial government. Writing a ban on foreign ownership of homes is not being considered as part of the budget 2018 planning. The province is going to have to act. We have a new government that was elected largely on a platform of do something about high housing costs. Perhaps the biggest reason British Columbians might be feeling some Kiwi envy, a sense of action, how sweet it can be. John Hua, Global News. And easing the rental crisis and improving affordability in Vancouver, part of the goal of new rules to regulate short-term rentals in the city. Tonight, Vancouverites are getting their chance to weigh in on the issue. Nadia Stewart has more on what's at stake and how companies like Airbnb feel about the regulations. When it comes to short-term rentals in Vancouver, there's no shortage of critics. Airbnb themselves have to be legally uh, constricted to not list suites illegally. No shortage of stratas frustrated. Their own rules are being flouted. Generally what people do is deny that this is going on. And no shortage of Vancouverites who just want to see something done. We're renters, so it makes it harder for us because it, it increases like rental prices. It makes rent harder to obtain. Um, it makes suites less available. But then on the other side, people who do do Airbnb, I mean, it's it's a great kind of business for them. After years of heated debate over short-term rentals, the city finally holding a much-anticipated public forum. It comes after proposed regulatory changes earlier this year, limiting short-term rentals to primary residences and requiring hosts get a business license, among other things. We think it's appropriate for the city of Vancouver to regulate home sharing, in particular because of the fact that it is a very tight vacancy rate. It's a very expensive city to live. So fair rules, fair simple rules make sense. 
Dag says short-term rentals are an affordability strategy for the homeowners who choose to do it. But the debate over them has become polarizing. Homeowners against housing advocates, strata councils against the online platforms. Vancouver's newest councillor says to date, the city's response has been reactive. I don't think that uh, we have had really truly meaningful discussions around this yet. And again, uh, we have a supply crisis in the city and we're talking about all these components in a piecemeal way. Uh, They're all a part of a broader issue. And if you're going to talk about them in silos, then you're not really going to solve the actual problem. Nadia Stewart, Global News. And here's another way to understand the growing impact of short-term rentals on vacancies in Vancouver. In April 2017, there were nearly 6,000 short-term rentals listed on nine websites. That's up 10% from the year before. Controversy tonight over comments made by a Chilliwack school trustee about the province's new sexual orientation and gender identity education program. Barry Neufeld feels the LGBTQ-friendly curriculum doesn't belong in schools. But the BCTF takes issue not only with his stance, but also his interpretation of the program. Tanya Beja reports. The Chilliwack School District says it promotes inclusion, acceptance and diversity. But comments to the contrary by one trustee are now prompting calls for his resignation. He needs to step down or be pushed out one way or the other. Barry Newfeld ignited a backlash after posting on social media that he supports traditional family values and that allowing little children to choose to change gender is nothing short of child abuse. He accuses the province of forcing this biologically absurd theory on children in schools. I don't impose my beliefs on anybody, but this program intends to totally impose its belief on all of public education. The BC Teachers Federation calls Newfeld's post appalling. It sends the message uh, to uh, children who might be coming out or who already are out at school that their school might not be safe, that the trustees that are supposed to be looking out for them aren't. It's a topic that's not often brought up, and so it's new. At the root of Newfeld's concern is SOGI 123, the province's toolkit to help educators talk about issues of sexual orientation and gender identity. SOGI upholds values already enshrined in BC's Human Rights Code. I think he's absolutely wrong. He's on the wrong side of history on this issue. Uh, we're right to continue to try and eliminate uh, all forms of discrimination and harassment in our society. The province won't fire Newfeld. His fellow trustees want to hear from him. I think if he made an apology and retracted his statements and learned a little bit more about how hurtful his statements are, I, th- I think that could go a long way. The board is meeting um, in the next couple of days to determine its actions, and um, you know we'll we'll want to speak with Barry. They also want to reassure parents: all students at Chilliwack schools are accepted. Tanya Beja, Global News. The Integrated Homicide Investigation Team has identified the victim of a shooting in South Surrey early yesterday morning. It happened in the 14300 block of Crescent Road just after 2 in the morning. When police arrived, they found a man suffering from gunshot wounds. He was transported to hospital but later died. That man has now been identified as 28-year-old Nicholas Cabra of Surrey. A second victim, a woman, was also found a short distance away. She is expected to survive. Mr. Cabra was known to us uh, that he had a criminal record. Um, There's no evidence to suggest that he's directly linked to any uh, known gang. 
Investigators are looking to speak with friends of the victim who may have had contact with him on October 22nd or 23rd. Sentencing began today for a Vancouver man convicted of murdering his mother. Brian Whitlock was found guilty of second-degree murder in the 2014 death of his mother, Barbara, in her Dunbar home. Crown is asking for a life sentence with no parole for at least 12 to 15 years, citing Whitlock's mental illness and refusal to get treatment. Defense is asking for parole eligibility at 10 years. In 2012, Whitlock was also involved in another high-profile case for badly beating his German Shepherd captain and leaving the dog in a Kitsilano dumpster. The dog later died. Burnaby RCMP are asking for your help to find a missing teenager. 16-year-old Dominique Fury Beauchamp was last spotted outside Caribou Hill Secondary School at around 8.15 last Friday morning. She's white, around 5 feet 2 inches tall, 118 pounds, and she has dirty blonde hair. Anyone who may have seen Dominique is asked to contact Burnaby RCMP or Crime Stoppers. The Vancouver Park Board has a new strategy for off-leash dog areas in the city. Dog owners have wanted more canine-friendly spaces since off-leash areas were first created 20 years ago. Well, after two years of research, they might get more than that. Grace Key joins us now with the details of the People, Parks and Dogs plan. Grace. Yeah, we're here at Dude Chilling Park in Mount Pleasant. Now, we see a lot, certainly a lot of people out walking their dogs on their leashes. This is not an off-leash park, but soon things could change for folks here. Mount Pleasant, Kitts, and Grandview Woodlands area identified as three of the top spots uh, that need more dog parks. You couldn't have asked for a better fall day to go out for a stroll with your dog, but for Peter Parker, finding a spot to run freely in Vancouver's Mount Pleasant neighborhood is a problem. Yeah, in this area, we don't have off-leash parks, so I have to go down to Olympic Village. The Vancouver Park Board is developing a 10-year plan to ensure everyone will be able to enjoy parks. Mount Pleasant has been identified as an area that needs more off-leash spots, and its Dude Chilling Park has had the most 311 dog-related calls. They come up through the park, or through Dude Chilling, and then to the school here, and every day at 6 o'clock, there's probably 20 or 30 dogs running around off-leash. The park board would like to have a neighborhood off-leash area within a 15-minute walk and a larger destination spot within a 35-minute walk throughout the city. The east side can be a challenge with smaller and fewer parks, but the board does have $113 million to spend on acquiring new space, and it would work with partners for solutions. So right now we've got the Mount Pleasant School beside us. We can utilize some of that money for park acquisition, instead build a brand new turf field, and then use the other half of the park for an off-leash dog. One of George Michael's favorite hangouts is the fenced-off dog park at Emory Barnes Park in downtown Vancouver. It's one of six fenced-off areas, but more could be on the way. A lot of dog owners that actually want more fencing because they feel more comfortable with their dog, um, because maybe their dog doesn't have the best recall or um, will chase something outside. So uh, six is too few for the city of Vancouver. <laughs> the 10-year plan is all-encompassing, includes everything from off-leash hours, types of ground surfaces, waste and enforcement. I love having kids and dogs sharing the same space. You know, you're trying to foster a healthy relationship with animals. But the park is always like a really great haven um, for people. To all right, Grace, this is a 10-year plan, but what's immediately in the works? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, they do have some uh, quick start pilot projects that could be implemented certainly within the next year or so. So that could include things like uh, new signage for off-leash areas, includes a new off-leash area at Renfrew Park and a pilot for so new morning hours only off-leash area at George Wadeborn Park. Chris? All right. Thanks very much. Grace Key in Vancouver. A firestorm on social media over the trophy hunt of a massive grizzly bear. This photo posted yesterday to Twitter stating the grizzly was shot by a U.S. trophy hunter north of Fort St. John a few days before. Critics of the hunt are calling on the province for an outright ban, saying it's too easy for hunters to exploit an exception that currently allows killing for meat. But the Auditor General says hunting is not the main threat. Keith Baldry joins us now with details of a new report. Keith. Yeah, so the Auditor General Carol Bellringer, uh, some surprising conclusions in her report today. She looked at the management, the government's management and monitoring of the grizzly bear population in B.C., and she found that, hunting aside, and she wasn't looking at the hunting aspect, she found that uh, natural resource industries, forestry, oil and gas, and the uh, creation and building of thousands of kilometers of resource roads in B.C. every year, that's the big threat to the grizzly bear population in most areas of the province. Here's Carol Bellringer. We had heard a lot about the hunt. What we determined was the chief threat to the grizzly bear population is not the hunt, but rather the uh, habitat of the grizzly bears and the risk of, of human degradation of that habitat. So, uh, Carol uh, Bellring estimates close to 400 bears were destroyed because of that human uh, bear conflict over the last 10 years or so. Numbers probably going to get higher with that increased uh, uh, conflict that comes with resource industry activity. Uh, the good news is she had 10 recommendations. The government's accepted all of them, notably the promise to hire more conservation officers, which was a campaign promise. That'll take effect next spring. Back to you, Sylvie. All right. Thanks, Keith. Christmas has come early for Vancouver's Santa Claus Parade. The parade was in danger of being cancelled when Rogers pulled funding, but a new presenting sponsor stepped up. TELUS has signed on, essentially saving the parade. Many of our customers and team members wrote and encouraged us to support the parade this year in order to ensure this long-standing tradition in Vancouver was able to not only survive, but thrive in its 14th year. Indeed, the Santa Claus Parade helps knit our community together, reminding us of how we are all connected during a very special time of the year. The parade encourages spectators to donate food or money to the Greater Vancouver Food Bank Society. And TELUS says on top of that, it'll also give $1 for each food item donated from now until December 3rd. In a crisis, police, fire and ambulance services are under the gun to jump in quickly. Lives are often on the line for first responders and the people they save. But we are losing a critical tool to tell if they're doing their jobs correctly. Why some say transparency is at risk with the adoption of new technology in just over a minute. A thoughtful note from Albert Einstein hits the auction block. What it says and the shocking price it sold for nearly 100 years after he wrote it. That's later on the news hour. And a new standard for distracted driving. What she did is beyond dangerous, according to the witness who took this picture right here in B.C. That's coming up as well. But first, some big changes in the way Metro Vancouver first responders communicate is generating controversy. Emergency response teams will be switching to an encrypted radio system. 
As Ted Chernecki reports, critics say that will keep important information from the public. A lot of your breaking news starts here. There are dedicated videographers who listen all day and night to scanners that monitor police, fire, and ambulance frequencies. Dispatch Vancouver Engine 10. Arriving on the scene early is often critical to getting factual accounts from eyewitnesses before they leave the scene. But all that chatter is in the throes of being silenced. If you shut everything down and you make it so the media can't listen to anything, how is the general public going to get these stories and get them accurately? Clearly, police tactical operations would need privacy, but the plan is to silence everyone. All first responder communications would be heavily encrypted. BC Ambulance for what city? Only those within the agencies would know what's going on. And that raises a few questions about transparency. Um, Whenever a window that sheds light onto police and first responder activities is closed, closed to the public, closed to the media, I think that the public ought to be asking questions. Other cities that have similar encrypted systems have been forced by media and public pushback to turn the encryption off, unless the information is critical to one's safety and privacy. I think it's one of those things that as technology evolves, uh, we need to be aware that accountability and transparency also need to move along at the same time. Social media is what's driving the changes. The general public listens and then often without verification or second sourcing the information, immediately posts sometimes very sensitive information online. Where's the information going to come from and where's the stories going to come from? It's all going to be secondhand social media. And do we really want that? Quietly, some first responders tell Global News that they don't support the silence everyone approach. Many of those heroic stories that currently get reported could disappear if no one knows they're happening in the first place. Ted Schnecke, Global News. The off-duty firefighter whose chance discovery in the Okanagan probably saved a man's life spoke to Global News today. Stefan Beckman and his wife were out for a walk on Sunday near Osoyoos when they spotted a small patch of red in the brush off Highway 3. They also heard the sound of faint cries, so they scrambled down the hill, and that's where they found a trail man who'd lost control of his vehicle and crashed down the embankment. He had been trapped there for an agonizing 16 hours. The vehicle had come off the highway here, probably uh, was airborne for maybe 50 or so feet. Um, there's a deep depression where it hit nose first, it appears. Then it must have catapulted over these, uh, these small trees. He told me he had crawled out of the car through a window during the morning time and uh, he couldn't feel his, his arm and left side. Fire. Firefighters who responded to the rescue call say the victim is also lucky that he happened to be lying in a sunny spot or he would have suffered from hypothermia and might not have made it. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, the long road to recovery in the caribou. I know a lot of neighbors probably won't be coming back. Residents face the heart-wrenching reality after a disaster they say was preventable. And saying goodbye to Benson, a role Robert Guillaume seemed born to play. Perhaps no community felt the wrath of B.C.'s wildfire season more than Pressy Lake near 100 Mile House. 33 homes were destroyed there, and at the time, residents wanted to know why more wasn't done to protect them. And as Nitu Garcha reports, they're still waiting for those answers. 
You can see the bank has all been burned. As he takes a drive through it, Martin Reeve makes it clear Pressy Lake holds a special place in his heart. He and his wife Evelyn had just moved out of their home in Victoria and planned to move into what had been their vacation home for decades. But not long after settling in, wildfire wiped it out. You can sit at the kitchen table and just choke them. Look out. Oh, over the lake. 33 homes like theirs are burned to the ground. Yeah, it was everything we had. We just moved here in May and lost it all. Many left wondering what was done to shield properties from the flames. When owners asked, they were told to file a Freedom of Information request. In response, they got a letter from the BC Wildfire Service. It says four days before the Elephant Hill wildfire tore through the community, structures were assessed, but fire officials decided not to set up protection. We felt covered, and then to know that they did nothing... I think that's more heartbreaking than anything. Owners say structural protection crews were stationed in the community on July 28th and wonder why they were pulled out then, two weeks before the wildfire ravaged Pressy Lake. It seems that we're not getting answers on purpose. If something went wrong and someone made a bad call and it is liability on someone's part, let us know and compensate us. In a statement, the province said it is working to support those who've lost property as they wait for a response to their Freedom of Information request, adding about 500 pages of documents will be released this week to provide more information. I know a lot of neighbours probably won't be coming back. The community may never be the same, and owners want to know that next time will be different. What if we all rebuild and then the same thing happens? How are we protected? But for those like the Reeves, who don't have insurance... To build according to all of the new stipulations, we might not be able to. They're not only trying to come to grips with the loss of their retirement home, but also the reality they may be permanently displaced from a community they love, and left wondering if it was all preventable. Neetu Garcha, Global News. Pressy Lake. Five teenagers who should have known better, handcuffed and in court for a prank that went terribly wrong. And Albert Einstein helped unravel the mysteries of the universe, and this memo just fetched an astronomical price. We must stop pretending that the de degradation of our politics and the conduct of some in our executive branch are normal. They are not normal. The personal attacks, the threats against principles, freedoms and institution, the flagrant disregard for truth and decency. Political experts, many of them, say this is the most scathing denunciation of a sitting president in history. Trembling with emotion, Republican Senator Jeff Flake from Arizona announcing he'll not run for re-election and then unloading on Donald Trump. For 20 minutes, he delivered a withering critique of Trump's behavior and competence. Flake says he believes Trump is a threat to the country, and he simply can't stand by and be a part of it anymore. A thoughtless prank in Michigan that killed a young father now has the potential to decimate six families. A 32-year-old construction worker died when a rock was dropped from an overpass. And now five teenagers are charged with second-degree murder. A young father is dead from a senseless act his fiance is struggling to comprehend. He took away a child's father <laughs> and the love of my life. 
His stupid act took away a life. It was from this overpass near Flint, Michigan last week that police say a group of teenagers threw a six-pound rock that crashed through the windshield of the car Kenneth White was riding in, striking him in the chest and head. Those kids, they may have thought it was a prank, but it's not a prank when you're throwing six-pound rocks at vehicles. Today, the five teens appeared in chains and remained mostly silent during a tense arraignment, each entering not guilty pleas for charges that include second-degree murder as the victim's family listened through tears. The judge denied bond. The high schoolers will be tried as adults and could face life in prison. It was a willful and wanton act that resulted in somebody's death. These people should have known better. Investigators say the teens hurled at least 20 rocks from that overpass, hitting at least eight cars on the highway below. Police say the oldest suspect, 17-year-old Kyle Anger, turned himself in. The four other teens, 15 and 16 years old, were arrested shortly after. Tonight, a call for justice for a family torn apart. Took a good man and a good father. Look what you have done to a terrific family, a terrific dad. You have taken his life for nothing. Hollywood is saying goodbye to a beloved actor, Robert Guillaume, who won two Emmys playing Butler Benson in the sitcom Soap and then in its spinoff, also called Benson, died today at the age of 89. Guillaume also gained fame as the voice of Rafiki in Disney's The Lion King. His wife says he had battled prostate cancer in recent years and died surrounded by his family. An amazing artifact up for auction in Israel today. Two notes written by Albert Einstein with some advice about living a happy life. It was 1922 and Einstein had just been informed he'd won the Nobel Prize for physics. But he had no money to tip the messenger, so he wrote him the notes telling the courier if he was lucky, someday they might be worth something. The nephew of that courier put the notes up for sale today, with the auction house estimating their value at about $10,000 Canadian. Well, they sold together for just under $2 million. One note says simply, where there's a will, there's a way. That one went for about a quarter of a million dollars. The other note, a bit more profound, a calm and modest life brings more happiness than the pursuit of success combined with constant restlessness. That one went for about $1.6 million. The European buyer wants to remain anonymous. Another Canadian first tonight for BC Children's Hospital as it opened the country's very first family immunization clinic. Linda Aylesworth explains why doctors think the facility is needed. Right. So, Dad, this is uh, Hans. Hans, is that you? When it comes to getting shots, nine-year-old Hans is an old pro. Okay, on the count of three, I need you to keep breathing for me in and out. How many shots do you think you've had in your life? Um, like 18 or lower. Hundreds. What? Hundreds. Oh. <laughs> That's because Hans is a heart patient here at BC Children's Hospital, where today he got a flu shot at their brand new immunization clinic. It's the first drop-in immunization clinic in the whole of Canada and only the second in the world. The other's in Melbourne, Australia. It went over so well there, they decided to try it in Vancouver. If you're wondering why it's such a unique idea, you need to understand the problem they're trying to solve. A lot of our patients, particularly those with chronic illnesses, uh, are under-immunized. Rates are probably even worse than in the general public. 
The reason starts with the fact that hospital specialists tend to focus on treating chronic health care conditions. And thinks of immunization as something that needs to be dealt with by their family physician. But their family physician doesn't see them very often because they're coming here so much. So in an effort to make it more convenient, and with the help of a $15 million donation from Save On Foods, BC Children's created its own drop-in clinic for its young patients and their visitors. The vaccines sometimes don't work as well in some of those immune-compromised children, and there's also some vaccines that some of those children can't have. So protecting family and friends indirectly protects sick children. Right now, the clinic is only offering influenza vaccines, but in January, all publicly funded childhood vaccines will be offered. We see children almost every day who come in with vaccine-preventable diseases, and the less of those we see, then the happier we'll be that we're doing a good job. Good job! Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Brave kid. Mm -hmm. Good for him. A haunted house so good it's scary. One man's tribute to the very best horror films of all time and the cause it supports. Coming up. And watch out for this distracted driver. Why she's a menace on the roads. An amazing sight in Israel with thousands of migrating pelicans, but their natural behavior is causing big problems. The novel solution to it, right after the forecast. Sometimes nature needs a helping hand from mankind. Not always, though. Uh, An amazing sight was looking out and seeing so much beautiful Mm -hmm. sunshine today, just as it was described to us yesterday, (laughs) Christy. Well, we saw record-breaking conditions. We weren't quite expecting that today, but things certainly heated up today. Yes, just a beautiful evening out there. The fall colors in full force. It is spectacular out there. And we have a number of days like this on the way, but still one day where we're going to see rain. We'll show you the timing of that. First, though, the record. So Pitt Meadows hit 19 degrees when you uh, average it up. 19 degrees. That broke a record from 2005. Salmon Arm hit 17 and Pemberton 15. So very... Very warm, beautiful conditions out there. We are going to see things co- briefly cool off, though. The warmth really was across all the southern regions today. But as this front swings down across our region, it will be briefly cool and we'll see the rain overnight. I'll show you the timing. In behind it, though, a nice ridge of high pressure will build, though there is one area that continues to get targeted this hour. So a rainfall warning for Haida Gwaii, north coast, both central or sorry, coastal regions and inland regions, another 60 millimeters potentially but it is going to drop south of your region as you head into the overnight period. Significant snow for the BC Peace River and Fort Nelson region. Some areas near the mountains could see up to 20 centimeters of snow by tomorrow morning and in areas like Fort St. John, a good 10 possibly. There's that front dropping to the south, so areas across the northern Vancouver Island, parts of Sunshine Coast like Powell River, significant rain overnight, but it will be brief. You can see how thin this uh, band is and it's going to drop further south, so Victoria, Vancouver, We'll see rain during the commute, especially in the early morning hours, 6, 7 a.m., and very wet out in the Fraser Valley as well. The good news is it pushes on quickly. We are back to sunny breaks by the latter part of the day. Temperatures only warming up to about 13 tomorrow, but we rebound Thursday and Friday. So the northern regions, nice little break after all the wind and rain you saw over the last little while. And across the south, we will see showers in through the morning with breaks of sunshine by the afternoon as that band swings 
things down. However, those of you in the Columbia and Caribou region, you will continue with cloud and showers. The bulk of that through the morning hours, though. And for the south coast, we will see the showers develop through the overnight period. The bulk of it for southern regions in the early morning with breaks of sunshine by the afternoon. Not a ton of sunshine tomorrow, but we will see the sunshine Thursday and Friday. Terrific conditions. Not record-breaking like we saw today, but warmth returning to the region Saturday and Sunday also looking mostly dry, although temperatures drop off on Sunday. We have six people celebrating birthdays tonight. So starting with Jack Austin, he's celebrating 100 years. Tina McCleary and Mary McPhail also celebrating birthdays today. And happy birthday to Jean Harper, Bernard Hunter and Peggy Butterworth. So a lot of birthdays over 100 or 103 years ago, you two. Back They're to you. Born in October. Thanks, That's Christy. Right. The Israeli government had a problem. Hundreds of thousands of hungry, migrating pelicans were decimating local fishing grounds and fish farms. The solution has created some spectacular pictures. The government keeps the pelicans at a central reservoir by feeding them three or four times a week with six tons of fish. About 400,000 pelicans spend three months in Israel while flying from the Black Sea to the South Sudan in Africa. All right, now to that distracted driver caught on camera by other motorists astonished by what they saw. Here's the image sent to our Global News Facebook page by a viewer. He and his passenger watched as the woman launched the Netflix app while she was stopped at a red light. When the light changed, she continued to watch while she was driving. Obviously, this is something that would get you pulled over if police witnessed it. First of all, that's illegal, and it's illegal for a reason, because it's very dangerous behavior and it causes a lot of serious collisions on our roadways. Uh, I would probably ticket that person. It's a $368 ticket. Uh, We want to advise people to pull over. Leave the phone alone or pull over when you want to use it. Why do we... Must have been a really I, good episode. Yeah, Orange is Orange is the new black or something. <laughs> I mean, common is sense. Stranger Things common back sense. yet? Yeah. It's crazy. No and TVs in the car. That's right. Or he on said the I, would, I would probably ticket that person. I know. I'm guaranteeing he would ticket that <laughs> yeah, person. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, okay, Squire's here now. All right, so we're going to talk uh, a lot of hockey. Canucks are playing in Minnesota. World Series is starting tonight. Vancouver Giants star Tyler Benson back from yet another injury. I've never missed as much hockey in my life. It's just been unfortunate. He feels great. Now he just needs a bit of luck to overcome the injury bug. And later, the horror movie fan who recreated his favorite characters in his own backyard. (laughs) Some shocked television viewers in Manitoba tonight with news that a former Winnipeg sports anchor and news director has been charged with bank robbery. 53-year-old Steve Vogelsang is accused of robbing two banks in Alberta. Court documents indicate he's been hit with hard times and has been living out of his car recently. Thanks. Mm-hmm. All right. Our sports director. Yeah. Straight and narrow. I just, I <laughs> just, I just go to the bank machine, I put my card in, and it gives me money. <laughs> it's amazing how that works. Uh, the uh, Canucks will finish up their five-game road trip in Minnesota tonight. And regardless of what happens... This trip will be considered a successful one. The Canucks have already won three of four. Uh, And this game is also a bit of a homecoming for Brock Besser. He'll have about 40 family and friends in the stands. Anders Nilsson starting in goal for the Canucks. The Wild are last in the Central Division. Now, they have injuries, a serious one to Zach Parise, who is going to get back surgery. But Minnesota has had a weird schedule so far because this tonight is only their second home game of the season. 
And there are the Canucks. Heading onto the ice, and now Chris Stewart bounces Sam Gagne. Ouch. But Gagne's okay. Jason Zucker, not much happened in the first period, but this did. Breaking in on Nilsson, gets a little too deep, and Nilsson makes an easy save. Jake Vertanen, of course, out with the Sedins. I like this pairing so far. Henrik, Jake Vertanen can't beat Devin Dubnik. Jason Zucker again. And watch where this puck ends up. Nilsson makes the save and then just does some David Copperfield bit. Where's the puck? Here it is. It's in my chest. Zero zero late in the second period. So that knee injury we talked about last night, suffered by Troy Stetcher, will now keep him out at least four to six weeks. He collided with Thomas Tatar. It was a rather nondescript collision. You wouldn't think someone would get hurt, but obviously his knee went the wrong way. Stetcher had been averaging around 15 minutes per game with the Canucks. Look who played against each other tonight. Sydney on the left, Connor on the right. Crosby didn't score. McDavid did his first goal since opening night. He's been on a long scoring slump. Long for him, certainly. Down the left side, shoot scores. That tied at 1-1 in the third period. They would go to overtime in OT. Evgeny Malkin, Phil Kessel, game over. Good night. Drive safely. Pittsburgh wins 2-1. So Tyler Benson has been one of the Vancouver Giants' best players when he has played for them. But too often he's the best player they don't have. He has the dreaded injury bug following him around at all times. And it's bitten him at an age where he should be taking those final steps towards an NHL career. He is an Edmonton Oilers draft pick. He's finally ready to get back with the Giants for what likely will be his final year in the Western Hockey League. This is the latest trip down Tyler Benson's never-ending comeback trail, one that's been more of a non-stop injury rut. Benson's coming off multiple sports hernia surgeries, the third and fourth significant injuries, which have all but paralyzed his once promising career. What has it been like for him, and what have you seen the last couple of years? Well, we've seen someone that's been distraught. It's tough. I mean, um, I always want to be out there. It's tough watching games. I want to be on the ice uh, with my team, and uh, I've never missed as much hockey in my life. It's just been unfortunate that it's been at this time in my, my lifetime, but... Uh, we're trying to get through it, and I think uh, we're in the right direction. Here's hoping because up until now, Benson's junior career has been on a continuous injury loop. Back surgery to remove a cyst from his tailbone. Before that, knee and shoulder injuries. And then this past off season, those multiple sports hernia repair jobs. Instead of starring for the Vancouver Giants, he could just as easily be the lead on Grey's Anatomy. Did you ever think, oh my God, I've got another injury, I'm never going to be healthy again? Uh, I guess sometimes it, it just gets frustrating that uh, it keeps reoccurring. But uh, I think uh, once they get past it, it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be well worth it. In the last three seasons, Benson's basically missed a year and a half of hockey for a kid who was the Western Hockey League's first overall pick not that long ago and highly respected NHL prospect. That's more than enough to derail a career. But the Edmonton Oilers saw enough out of Benson in his limited game time to use a second-round draft pick on him. That says a lot for his potential, providing, of course, he can stay healthy.
This is a guy a lot of people were talking about. As an adult, you're looking at it through through NHL eyes, and you're looking at it as, as this is your livelihood. This has just a, been a 16-, 17-year-old boy that wants to play hockey. He just wants to go do something that he's that he wakes up every morning wanting to do. Yeah, no, I want to I want to be able to finish this year. I want to start to finish. I want to play every game, not compete with my team. We want to be a playoff team. So I just want to have a healthy season and be able to develop my game. Chris Galeas has been put on notice because Canada's men's rugby team will play a World Cup qualifying game January 27th at BC Place. If they're short of guys, he'll go in. Uh, they're taking on Uruguay at the first of two games to see which of the two gets to the 2019 World Cup. It was also announced that the Canada versus Maori All Blacks game on November 3rd at BC Place is almost sold out. They need me to find the Astros. 35 degrees Celsius. For opening pitch, Dodgers-Astros World Series. We haven't seen a World Series game in the uh, friendly confines of Dodger Stadium since 1988. First pitch over the wall, Chris Taylor. 1-0 Dodgers. Uh, Alex Bregman, also a solo home run. That tied it, 1-1. These were the two best teams in baseball in the regular season. Not often you see the two best face off in the World Series anymore. L.A. has a 3-1 lead now in the sixth inning. There you go. All right. First pitch over the fence. How about that? That's a nice way to start. All right, here's Andrew and now the preview of Global News at 11. Anne? Thanks, Chris. And we're at Vancouver City Hall tonight where over 60 speakers are expected to share their thoughts on short-term rentals. But will it provide any answers? And a battle is heating up in Maple Ridge over a tent city. Neighbors say they're desperate to get rid of the homeless camp, which has led to an increase in crime and drug use in the area. But where are the people living there supposed to go? A city council meeting this evening will try and tackle that very issue. We'll have those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. All right, Ann, thank you. It's a nightmare on 48th Avenue in Langley. Squire takes us to a mansion of monsters next. Oh, just talking about what talk about scares it. us in the uh, commercial <laughs> break because as we head into Halloween, we all spend more time thinking about fear and the folks at Insights West Ask Canadians what they fear the most. Number one, 58% fear terrorism. Hmm. These are Canadians who responded, by the way. Nuclear war is number two, followed by heights, snakes, and being a victim of crime. And true to the old saying, more people are afraid of public speaking, apparently, than they are of death. What about spiders? I, I'm no, surprised. We're just talking about that. On this desk, it'd be very near the top, would it not? It yeah. would be the top. I was saying, and especially living in Vancouver, it's um, financial ruin. Is <laughs> yeah, financial ruin is another one. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Squire, you spent some time with a guy who loves horror. Yeah, actually, he he said there's some big spiders in that he's made, and also some that actually get in there. But that's just <laughs> don't let that scare you away from. The Mansion of Monsters, Barry Brinkworth and his wife Tammy put together, and they've done it for years, this incredible haunted house that you can visit. This is what happens when you have a master model builder and artist living in the same body as a horror movie aficionado. Yeah, they're just what movies that I grew up seeing and they made a real impression on me and, and that creates enthusiasm to create it. This is uh, Dr. Jekyll as Mr. Hyde. And he's in the same house as other horror icons like Chucky. He's uh, all made of clay. The Fly, Ghost Bride, and the mistress of the dark herself, Elvira. 
So what is she made out of? She's made out of uh, like wood forms, plywood, quarter inch plywood forms, and then um, styrofoam and then shaped from there. And then I put plaster Paris on it and then lots of sanding. Her face is auto body filler. It's been used as a way to raise money for the food bank for the last 17 years. Originally in Richmond, it's now on 48th Avenue in Langley. What is your favorite horror movie of all time? Frankenstein, I think. Frankenstein's Monster is my, is my favorite as far as that classics go. And then uh, my favorite up-to-date horror, anything to do with Texas Chainsaw. Keeping the mansion of monsters in good condition is a scary amount of work. But the Brinkman family has been making all kinds of models for generations.